This episode may be supported by advertising depending on your location. Well, if I show you a picture of a Japanese man with a full body tattoo, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, it's got to be the Yakuza. Right? But wrong. Hello and welcome to Deep Dive from the Japan Times. I'm Oscar Boyd. Japan, I think it's fair to say, has an uncomfortable relationship with tattoos, which are, in the eyes of many Japanese people, associated with the Yakuza and the criminal underworld of Japan. Today, we're joined by longtime Japan Times contributor and former columnist Alice Gordenka, who hopes to challenge that stigma through a documentary she's produced called Horimono, Japan's Tattoo Pilgrimage, released earlier this year and which follows the annual pilgrimage of the Choyukai, a group united by their full body tattoos and, in case you haven't guessed it yet, aren't Yakuza. In this episode, we discuss Alice's film, Misconceptions About Tattoos in Japan, and how tattoos turn from celebrated body art of the Edo period to something thought of as a criminal accessory. Alice Gordenka, welcome to Deep Dive. Thank you for having me. So earlier this year, you put out a new film. It's called Horimono, Japan's Tattoo Pilgrimage. Could you give us a quick synopsis? Well, it's a short documentary that challenges Japanese stereotypes about tattoos by following a group of individuals who all have full-body tattoos on their annual pilgrimage to a holy mountain shrine on Mount Oyama. And this is the same Mount Oyama that's a popular hiking spot outside of Tokyo. Right. I watched the film before we began recording, and the story it tells about tattoos is a really interesting one, and definitely not a perspective I'd ever heard before. So how did you end up involved in the film? Well, I didn't set out to do this. Um, I was working in Oyama already, um, consulting with them about how to attract foreign visitors. And in the process of that, I came to know very many people, in particular, one of the Shinto priests at the shrine there. And he really suggested the story to me. He showed me some photos that he had taken. And let me actually just show it to you. Uh, maybe you can describe what you see here. Uh, okay, okay. So this is a photo of inside the shrine. That's right. And it shows maybe 30 to 40 mostly men all sat down. It's a commemorative photo. Uh, they look like they're all celebrating an event. And the most notable thing about them... I'd say is that most of them are wearing only loincloths and have these amazing full body tattoos. So this was the photo the priest first showed you. What was your initial reaction to it? Because it's a very striking photo. Yeah, it's very beautiful. It's very surprising. I was surprised. Why were you surprised? Uh, it wasn't the image I had of tattoos in Japan. I thought that tattoos were something that you had to keep hidden and there was something a little bit dangerous and underground about them, and yet here they were inside a Shinto shrine, the holiest of holy places, <laughs> um, being welcomed and celebrated, and it just kind of blew my mind. And having a priest quite happily showing them off as well. Very happy. I mean, he was bringing it to my attention and saying, this is a beautiful part of Japanese culture. And so this group and this priest became the main subject of your film. Yes, that's right. Um, he asked me, do you think you could get some interest from the foreign media about this? I think he thought that the foreign media might be more open to it than the Japanese media. And so I shopped it around a little bit. And one of my Facebook friends, actually, 
was a guy who was working for NHK in New York at the time, David Caprera. And he'd actually made some documentaries before uh, for Vice.com. And um, he was very interested in this story as well and put together a team, including uh, Kira Dane, his co-director, and Michael Cromit, a very talented cinematographer who you can see he did beautiful images. And all of a sudden we had a project. And who is this group at the centre of the film, this group made up entirely of people with full body tattoos? It's a group called the Choyukai, which was founded about 140 years ago. And originally they were all people who lived in the Kanda neighbourhood of Tokyo. And they all had full body tattoos done by the same tattoo artist whose name is Hori Uno. He's quite a famous tattoo artist. And in that neighborhood in Kanda, basically, if you didn't have a full body tattoo, you weren't taken seriously by your peers. You weren't a man. Um, It was very common and very popular to have really good tattoos. We'll get into the various misconceptions surrounding tattoos in Japan later in the episode. But I want to clarify one thing now, if I can. When I look at that picture, the first thing that springs to mind is that these people photographed might be members of the Yakuza, many of whom sport full body tattoos. But they're not Yakuza, right? No. I mean, let's let's uh, not tiptoe around the elephant in the room. You see somebody with a full body tattoo and you think they're Yakuza right? You think they're gangsters. They're somehow connected with organized crime. These people are not. Um, Some of them work for big companies and keep their tattoos hidden under their suits. Um, Some of them work uh, in construction, engineering. Uh, Some of them run restaurants. They actually have a rule that you can't be in the group if you're a Yakuza. And how is it filming with them? Because looking at your film it looks it or watching your film it looks like a ton of fun they, <laughs> they seem like a really a group full of great characters well first of all normally the group does not permit the media to they, they won't talk to the media they would never have a, permitted a camera crew or a foreign camera crew to follow them the reason we got the access was that this was a request that came top down from the shrine it went very smoothly in terms of getting the permission of the group and everybody cooperated. You know, it was a really hot day. The pilgrimage always happens in the summer and Oyama's uh, up in the mountains, but it was hot. And in fact, we thought there was going to be a typhoon coming and I said, no, there won't be. Um, <laughs> I'm a hareona. I'm a woman who brings good weather. We'll be fine. Um, but it was kind of like herding cats, you know, to have all these guys who were there to have a good time and they were drinking. And yeah. And you followed them all the way through their day, right? So, so they had a blessing at the shrine. They also cleansed under the waterfall. If I we started, if I we started when everybody arrived. Um, most people were coming from Tokyo, of course. Um, we followed them to the waterfall where they did their ablutions and then up, 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 up into the mountain, into the shrine for the actual blessing and then followed them back down again for the party. How was the party? The party was great. <laughs> <laughs> I wish we could have sat down and, and uh, you know, partaken with them, but we were working, so... We'll talk about what you hope 
this film will achieve towards the end of the episode. But for me watching it, it was you know really quite a learning experience, seeing these men and a small handful of women as well openly displaying their tattoos and talking so freely about them. So how did your perceptions of tattoos in Japan change over the course of filming? And, and what do you think some of the big misconceptions are about tattoos in Japan? I know there's three you'd like to focus on specifically. So, yeah. so what's the first misconception? Nomenclature. I think people are misusing the various terms or there's a lot of confusion about the terms. For example, if I ask you, what's the Japanese word for tattoo? What would you say? So the first one that would come to mind is irezumi. Right. I think that's very normal. The men in my film don't use that word. They use horimono. And what is the difference between horimono and irezumi? Okay, well, irezumi originally is a very specific type of tattoo that was forcibly applied to criminals as punishment, as a warning to regular people that this guy can't be trusted. So it would be something very simple like a black bar across the forehead or black bars on the arms. So Irizumi are more like a, a brand, so very simple tattoos, right? lines and other figures. Whereas Horimono, we described before, or maybe we should describe, that the men in my film have these beautiful colored pictorial tattoos, many colors with beautiful images that look like a woodblock print. Mm. It's completely different from Irizumi, which is these punishment tattoos, these marks that were put on criminals. However, lots of people in Japan use the word irezumi for any kind of tattoo. Mm. And, and the word irezumi is well known overseas. People think, you know, a Japanese tattoo is called an irezumi. So it's hard to say it's wrong because it's used so broadly. But originally, irezumi was a very simple tattoo, not something that people chose to put on their bodies, but it was forcibly applied to their body like like a brand for a criminal. So traditionally that has much more negative connotations. Oh, than that's very mono. negative. Yes. Yeah. So the word irezumi to me seems very negative. And that's also for the people in our film. They don't want to use that word. They, that's not what they call it. So, to clarify, your film focuses specifically on horimono. Right. So these beautiful, full-body, coloured tattoos. Can you describe a bit more what one looks like, what one might be made up of in terms of imagery and symbolism? Sure. The most important part of a horimono tattoo is the back. There will be a very large, single image on the back. Usually it goes down the buttocks and down the back of the legs to about the knees, or maybe just a little bit below the knees. And that's one image. It's not little pieces of different things. It's one beautiful composition. And that will wrap around the body. It usually has three-quarter sleeves, so the arms will be completely covered down to the elbows, but not usually not lower. Mm -hmm. And then it will wrap around the chest, sometimes just around the shoulders, other times uh, down the front, to the belly, but often with a strip that's open. So like if you had your shirt unbuttoned, it wouldn't show. You wouldn't see it. Yeah. So what kind of things are depicted in these horimono? Well, these images most often come from ukiyo-e from the 18th and 19th centuries. So these are the woodblock prints. Woodblock prints, exactly. And they most always have a very large figure of a man, usually, on the back. 
And these are heroes that are taken from early classic literature or uh, kabuki plays. Mm. Sometimes they're gods or goddesses. Often they're dragons. Um, They're often heroes fighting giant carps. They're very active, dynamic, highly colored, completely filled in, beautiful images. I mean, really, you can often look at an ukiyo-e woodblock print and see the same image that you see on a man's back. How tattoos became associated with Japan's criminal underworld after this short message. This episode of Deep Dive is brought to you by our sponsors, Democrats Abroad. Democrats Abroad is the volunteer organisation that helps Americans overseas vote. And in case you haven't heard, time is running out to get that done just two weeks now until the US election. So if you're an American voter living abroad and haven't received your absentee ballot yet, or are afraid the one you've sent won't arrive in time, you're still in luck. An emergency backup ballot is your second chance. Head to votefromabroad.org FWAB right now to learn how you can fill out and send in your backup ballot according to your state's guidelines. Votefromabroad.org FWAB makes the process simple and easy with a live chat box and voter assistance via Zoom. So if you still need to vote from overseas, just go to votefromabroad.org FWAB. The link can be found in the show notes. We've run through the nomenclature and the confusion there is between horimono and irizumi and how using the term irizumi might give tattoos a more negative connotation. So what's another misconception about tattoos in Japan? Well, if I show you a picture of a Japanese man with a full body tattoo, what's the first thing that comes to mind? Well, it's got to be the yakuza. Right? But wrong. Somebody who has a full body tattoo is not necessarily a yakuza. I mean, there are many Yakuza who do have these full body tattoos. But where does the misconception come from that it's only the Yakuza and not other members of society? To answer that, I think I need to go back a little bit in history to the Edo period when these horimono tattoos became so popular. Basically, in the Edo period, any man from the working class, the grooms who took care of horses, uh, palaquin bearers, the messengers who carried the mail, they were called hikyaku, they would run from mail station to mail station carrying letters, Um, roofers, carpenters, uh, people who worked in high places, firemen, all these people sported full-body tattoos. It was cool. So it sounds like you're saying during the Edo period, these big full-body horimono were quite a common sight. Exactly. They were very prevalent. I actually have an interesting quote. Can I read it to you? Absolutely. Please do. Okay, so this is a story that was written by Junichiro Tanizaki in 1910, and it's called The Tattooer, Shisei in Japanese. And it really speaks to how popular these full-body tattoos were. It looks back to the Edo period and begins, It was an age when men honored the noble virtue of frivolity, when life was not such a hard struggle as it is today. People did all they could to beautify themselves, some even having pigments injected into their precious skins. Gaudy patterns of line and color danced over men's bodies. Among those so adorned were not only gamblers, firemen, and the like, but members of the merchant class and even samurai. That's a translation by Howard Hibbett, by the way. So if it was the case that so many legitimate people 
working class people and even samurai had these full body horimono. How did they become so closely associated with Yakuza and criminal gangs? Well, what's really interesting to note here is that this is a very recent thing. It's post-war. And two things happened beginning about the 1960s together, which really formed the image that people have today of tattoo equals Yakuza. The first thing is the rise of Yakuza movies as a popular genre. And, you know, when the directors wanted to make their heroes cool, well, what's cool in 1950s, 1960s tough guy culture in Japan? It's full body tattoos. It's horimono. So they gave their heroes tattoos to make them cool. Mm. But the image that was formed, the very strong image formed by these uh, popular movies was that it was, you know, Yakuza's have tattoos. I feel like there's something quite ironic in that because I'm sure part of the reason that directors were using those tattoos on screen was to make their movies more visually appealing. You know, yeah. these tattoos looked absolutely fantastic. But it seems a shame that by associating Yakuza and tattoos so closely in film that it would also reinforce this negative stereotype against them. Yeah, and, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been except there was something else happening at the same time, which is... You know, until the 1950s in Japan, bathing meant going to a public bath. Very few people had baths in their homes. You were going out um, in the afternoon or evening to a public bathhouse and bathing with your neighbors. You were getting naked with your neighbors. And so, of course, people were seeing that the carpenter who lived next door has a full body tattoo and admiring them, you know, Mm. and it was fine. It was no big deal. And then... After the war, there was a big push to improve housing. You know, so much of housing was destroyed during the war. But by the 1960s, you have more and more Japanese households with a shower and a bath in their own home. And so you stopped going to the public bath, which meant you stopped seeing your neighbors naked. So there was no way to to see all the variations in people's bodies. Then you only have the image that you're seeing on the screen. And if they're telling you that Yakuza have full body tattoos, and you're no longer seeing the carpenter who lives next door with full body tattoos, you just get this image. And of course, many Yakuza actually started to embrace these tattoos as they were depicted more and more in film as a sign of the underworld and a symbol of being tough. So that was the 1960s when that post-war stigma really started to develop. Yes, it started around the 1960s, but it was really during the 1970s that the Yakuza movies really became popular and the image got fused. So, you know, you're talking, what is that, 50 years ago? Not even. I mean, uh, you know, I was born in 1958, so I've been around longer than this image. I think that brings us to misconception number three, which is that this current stigma is very longstanding. It's been around forever um, and has some deep roots in Japanese history. But that's just not true. No. But I thought there were laws against tattoos that go back to the Edo period when these types of full-body tattoos were first becoming popular. Yes, actually, you're right. During the Edo period, there were at various time efforts to suppress these beautiful, colorful tattoos. But that was because the government was trying to stamp down overconsumption, anything that was showy or ostentatious, particularly from the lower classes. They didn't like the lower classes having a really good time. There were various laws that told people that they couldn't wear fancy kimono and they couldn't wear elaborate hairstyles and they couldn't have elaborate tattoos. 
So the difference then is that these laws weren't banning horimono or tattoos because they were associated with criminality or being a criminal, but that they were more generally trying to suppress the lower classes. Well, it wasn't about criminality at all. It was about ostentation. And the laws were pretty much flouted. And then something else happened in the Meiji period when Japan opened up to the West. Um, you know, at that time, there were still lots of palaquin bearers, for example, who were going through the streets wearing absolutely nothing but a loincloth, and they had these beautiful bodies. Well, of course, foreign people took notice of this. I mean, it's surprising. It's beautiful. And the Meiji government, which was concerned about wanting to be seen as an equal to the Western powers, were afraid that the Western visitors were seeing this as barbaric or backward. And so they said, you can't have tattoos, you can't show them in public. Um, and they passed, actually passed laws against tattoos at that point. Mm. And again, not because of an association with criminality, but no, rather, it was rather more... just to suppress them in general. Yes, it wasn't about criminality at all. It was about um, looking good for foreign visitors. It was trying to look civilized. During that period, didn't various royalty around the world and you know, pretty high up nobles and aristocrats go and actually get Japanese tattoos? Well, yeah, this was the beginning of widespread world travel by the upper classes in England and America. And they were taking their grand tours around the world. King George and his brother came here before he became king. And he got a dragon tattoo in Yokohama from quite a famous tattooer. The Western people were fascinated by the tattoos. They weren't repelled by them. Um, what did repel them were things like child prostitution and public drunkenness. And the Meiji government probably would have been smarter to put their efforts there instead of against tattoos. Mm. I've got to imagine, though, this kind of suppression did start to drive tattoos underground, even even if it wasn't because there was, they were associated with criminality in, in particular? I don't think the suppression during the Meiji period has anything directly to do with the image that we have today of tattoos being part of the Yakuza, but it definitely contributed to the image of this as something that has to be hidden, maybe the outlaw feeling. But I'll bet if you ask Japanese today why they don't like tattoos, they probably won't be able to go back that far and tell you that. We have these three misconceptions you've talked about that contribute to the modern stigma against tattoos. Number one, the nomenclature. Number two, the idea that they were only worn by Yakuza. And number three, that the stigma towards them is much older than it actually is. But coming back to your film, your main subject does say very frankly that his life has been limited in all sorts of ways by having tattoos. So how does the stigma against tattoos manifest itself in modern Japan? Well, in a lot of ways. Um, they usually can't go to many bathhouses, saunas, some gyms won't allow people to come in if they have tattoos. There can be workplace discrimination. A very recent case involved a sushi chef who was fired not because he had a tattoo, but because somebody said he had a tattoo. We don't know if he has a tattoo or not, but just the intimation that he might have a tattoo was enough that his boss fired him. So just to clarify, it's not actually illegal to have a tattoo in Japan, right? Uh, no, it's not illegal. And in fact, banning somebody because they have a tattoo may be illegal. It may go against Article 14 of the Constitution, which prohibits uh, unreasonable discrimination against people. Well, remember that I said that until the 1950s, bathing meant going to a public bathhouse. Well, of course, they didn't have any rules against tattoos then. 
the people in my film told me that the big driver behind the current ban that many bathhouses have um, against tattoos was started by golf clubs. Another way golf is ruining the world. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Golf clubs were trying to create this high-class image, right? And horimono, full-body tattoos, had sort of a working-class vibe to them. Mm. And so they wanted to keep out – they didn't like the image. You know, they wanted to have a KO University vibe in their locker room, and they didn't want to have, you know, some – tough guy coming in with full body tattoos. So golf clubs were some of the first to impose a ban on people for tattoos. And those kinds of bans are actually very widespread in Japan now and can even affect non-Japanese residents and tourists if they want to go to visit certain onsen and join gyms and sports facilities, even though they're obviously not associated with the Yakuza. There's actually a really handy website I want to mention now called tattoofriendly.jp, which I'll link in the show notes and has a list of bathhouses, gyms, sports facilities, etc. that accept people with tattoos. Coming back to your film again, though, if, if your subjects are being limited by their tattoos, why do they have them? They have them because they want them. They care more about having the tattoo than they care about what society thinks about them. Uh, one of the, you know, the main character in our film who's in the leadership of the Choyukai said, uh, you know, very nicely in the film, uh, people will think what they want. What matters is what it means to me. And is there any kind of organized push at all to reclaim these tattoos, these horimono as something not associated with criminality, instead something that can be treasured along the lines of woodblock prints? Well, I think that's why the shrine priest wanted the story told. He sees this as a beautiful part of Japanese culture that should be recognized. And yes, I think using woodblock prints to get people to open their minds is a very good way to do that because woodblock prints are beloved overseas and Japanese people also um, really respect that as a part of real culture. And if you look at woodblock prints, many of them have images of people with full body tattoos. Um, Last year in 2019, the Asian Art Museum in San Francisco had a major exhibition called Tattoos in Japanese Prints, but there have been very few similar exhibitions in Japan. There was one in 1973 um, and then really nothing. Uh, So I think tattoos, even in the art world, are a little bit controversial. So it doesn't sound like there's any significant organized effort to reclaim them? No, I don't think there is. I think it's still too controversial. There was a symposium last year to address the problem of tattoos and bathhouses as we look at multiculturalism and more foreigners coming to visit Japan. And I think there's a few small advocacy groups, but I don't see a big groundswell, no. And what do you hope your film achieves in terms of advancing or changing the conversation around tattoos? Well, I think it's a very surprising story. And as you said, it's pretty visually arresting. We would like Japanese people to see this, which is one of the reasons that the film is entirely in Japanese. There's no English narration. Uh, It's in Japanese with English subtitles, so it'd be very easy for Japanese people to follow. At the moment, we've 
had uh, runs at three film festivals, but so far no film festival in Japan has accepted. We have applied to them. Our hope is that the film will be seen in Japan or by Japanese people on the web. So my hope is that it will just get people to open their minds a little bit and to look at the history and to realize that tattoos were once celebrated in Japan. Alice Kodenka, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. That was Alice Gordenka. My thanks to her and her film Horimono, Japan's Tattoo Pilgrimage, is playing at online film festivals now and will soon have a permanent home on Vice News. It's a really beautiful film and they managed to get the music of Susumu Yokota, some of which you've heard in this episode. Check the show notes for more details on how to watch it. One thing we didn't have time to talk about in today's episode was the recent court case about whether tattoo artists need to possess a medical license or not. That story and other interesting background reading is linked in the show notes. Thanks as always for listening. And if you're enjoying Deep Dive, I'm going to ask for a favour. Please take a small moment to rate it and review it. It helps other listeners to discover the show. Until next time, have a good week and Podscatis on. Podscatis on.